Benjamin Lindsay are dangerously eclectic. Hello again from Ellen Ben and welcome back to the dangerously eclectic podcast. Um, we are going to continue tonight with our 25 biggest influences before the age of 25. But since we actually managed a quasi-focused episode on a primarily single subject, which was terrestrial radio, and I think, and I know Ben agrees, that was our best episode yet. So please, if you haven't, go back and listen to it. And, you know, Ben has like three or four other podcasts, so hit him up on Twitter at Ben Dangerously. I've listened to his occult one and his uh, metal one, and they're both excellent. So... Like I said, we're going to kind of go random today, and I know I've got about 10 or 12 things left on mine. Hopefully, we can get in in the hour or so we usually run. I think Ben may have a few less, but I am going to let him start off since I did the intro. Over to you, sir. Well, thank you for that kind introduction, Ellen. That is Thunderdome Metal Reviews and Voices from the Void, for those of you curious. Um, As Elle said, you can find me at Ben Dangerously on Twitter. You can also find him on Twitter at Eclectic Heretic. He's a good follow. I suggest you do that. And yeah, I have probably not that many. We do have some. If those of you who are obsessively keeping track of numbering of what we're talking about, give up. It's a, a moot point because we are kind of scatterbrained and bounce all over the place. And also we have some that are being rolled into other bigger broadcasts. And we also have a his. I mean, how long have we known each other now, Ben? 20 plus years. And- God, yeah. We tangent and go parenthetical far too often for the average person. And there's also far too many song and movie quotes. But, you know, hopefully you like that sort of thing. Uh, about 25, actually, years. So it's kind of strange that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so I'm going to start off. Uh, Hee Haw. For those of you who don't know, Hee Haw was a long running i think the first episode was in 1969 and it ran until the 1990s syndicated tv show that was a variety show specifically focused on country music um yeah first episode was june 15th 1969 and it ended on june 19th 1992 had over 600 episodes and the reason that it had such an influence on me um, if you've listened to some of the previous episodes, I talked about my parents being in bands and playing country music, and I, I'm still a fan of country music. And the, the humor in Hee Haw, like I said, it was a variety show, was pretty terrible. But I always watched it with my maternal it grandmother. It had a few good recurring characters and what have you. Well, no, the recurring characters were great. It's just that the humor was on the um, Gouda size of Chidi and... Um, or cheesy, I should say. <laughs> but, you know, they had like a cornfield thing where they'd stand up and tell effectively knock-knock jokes or dad jokes. They had the gloom, despair, and agony only. Um, they would always end in a joke. And then, like, they had the Million Dollar Band, which was a takeoff from Buck Owens, who was one of the huge country music stars of the late 60s. One of the most innovative country music stars of all time, I would argue. The guy who brought about the Bakersfield sound and also Roy Acuff and you know it was just or Roy Clark is actually who I'm thinking of Roy Acuff was on it but Roy Clark who was a phenomenal guitarist just one of the best guitarists that is unheralded out there and they would have musical guests every week and for a country music 
variety show. I really enjoyed it. Did you have any thoughts of it, Elle, other than what you've said? Um, only that I think it takes its place in an item where I totally cheated on our list by listing comedy show heritage. (laughs) The cornfield thing actually reminded me to hit that topic now because I was thinking one of mine is, and I'll go back to do the heritage thing, but one of mine is laugh in, um, that definitely falls in that comedy show and the the thing they would always do at the end with the, the letters and popping out and, yeah. You know, still like like haw that part at least. Laugh-In was somewhat cheesy, but it was very funny. Actually, Laugh-In probably was one of the, and I don't know this for sure, but thinking back to what Laugh-In was and its initial run, it probably inspired Hee-Haw in some ways. Hee-Haw would have just been laughing for the rural crowd. Well, and I think both of those then lead you to SNL, Kids in the Hall, Second City, just... Um, you, that whole genre of primarily sketch shows, but in my opinion, that started at least for me with the Carol Burnett show. I Tim Allen, Carol Burnett, God forgive me, I forget the lady, Vicky Lawrence. There we yeah. go. Um, just an amazing cast, and my favorite parts. And I, I find it annoying with most people that do it, but they they improved so freaking well. My favorite part is when one of them would throw a line and hit somebody else they hadn't expected and they'd just break. (laughs) Because it was nice to see just ridiculously funny people making other funny people laugh and improv. And, you know, that feeds in again to Second City Kids in the Hall. And... The fact that SNL, and uh, the one part of that that I'll really want to touch on is Weekend Update. Which version? Um, Oh, geez, whatever. Uh, Actually, let me give you my favorite. Give me a second to think. Oh, you're thinking. What's that? I said while you were thinking, I was going to go ahead and say mine. Dennis Miller. Um, The Dennis Miller era of Weekend Update was by far my favorite. I think I'm going to go Colin Firth. I... You know, I don't know, honestly, Michael Che and I forget the other guy's name, but the one that they're doing now is pretty good, but I think I'll go Colin Firth or no, no, scrap that Norm MacDonald. And Norm MacDonald was pretty good, but I still Definitely. like you did a smeller better. I like some style of humor. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, talking about the, because as far as the Carol Burnett show, I mean, I've seen a few reruns of it. Um, but obviously I don't think either one of us, well, maybe you did, uh, watched it in its first run probably caught it in syndication on like Nick at no, Night or something like that. No, it was definitely syndication, but my grandmother loved it. Yeah. So um, the to, other, to me, the last thing I was going to add to that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, is that comedy became truth with stand-up specials on TV, Eddie Murphy, George Carlin in particular, mm-hmm. did, you know, Definitely, oh God, who did um, Bill Maher? Uh, you know, yeah. some of that stuff really is why we now have Comedy Central and The Daily Show. And with everybody else going for clicks primarily and feeding to a certain audience or another, we mostly, at least my generation and I think millennials, I can't speak for Gen Z, but I think we mostly get our news from 
comedy websites unless we've isolated ourselves into a bubble. Comedy websites and comedy shows. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't really truck in comedy websites or comedy shows that much. Well, I might not should have said we. I actually usually use the Post and the Times. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I, I, I think that there is... No, there, there's a couple things I want to touch on before we move on. Um, a, the, the point that I was going to make was that uh, from coming out of the Carol Burnett show, Mama's Family, I loved Mama's Family. Oh, my my family loved Mama's yeah. Family. And and I don't think that that was as um, ad-libbed as the, the oh, Carol Burnett show, but still without incredibly it, good. You don't have, without it, you don't have Roseanne. Yeah. Just like without you know the Honeymooners, you don't have the Flintstones or the Simpsons. And the other place I was going to go when you were talking about stand-up comedy and its correlation with the truth, which I will repeat the line from Indiana Jones here. Um, if you want truth, the philosophy department is down the hall. But comedians have are a necessity, uh, necessity, necessity. God, if I could talk, um, in a democracy because they are they play the same role as the jester and the king of the court. They are able to mock the powers that be and point to uncomfortable truths in society and in our political structure that we oftentimes overlook. And George Carlin, you mentioned Lenny Bruce, oh, Richard God, Pryor, yes. you know. All these guys and girls of comedy that would get up there and do their bits and face censorship or arrest and everything that goes with it to make society not only laugh at things that are uncomfortable because that is a natural reaction and I think it's a way for us to talk about things that are uncomfortable without getting too bound up and also a way to expose those in company that normally wouldn't talk about them at the jester thing. I'm a little irritated you brought up cause I thought I had a good point to make on that, but you covered it. But <laughs> the, the only thing I'll add before I ask you to move on with whatever you want to is that we must fight the powers that be. Since fight the power. <laughs> fight the power that be. Damn right. Um, I wasn't really expecting to follow that up, but I guess we did deviate from he enough that I will. We deviate all the time. We are deviant, probably, anyway. I am, anyway. Um, and I guess you are, too. Um, where do I want to go from there? I guess I will go now to uh, something that I mentioned in the last episode, The X-Files. Anyway, sorry. Exactly. Um, again, you know, it was uh, much like with the Art Bell show. It was a show that had two government agents, one played by uh, David Duchovny and the other played by, I can't believe I'm just blanked on her name. Jillian Anderson. Thank you, Jillian Anderson. Um, two FBI agents, one who believed in the occult and supernatural and one who did not. And they went across the country like good FBI agents in serial media do, investigating various things. It also was a fairly long-running show. I didn't get to see all of it to this day. I haven't seen every episode, but I did like it a lot. Um, not only was Jillian Anderson's character, Doctor, or not Doctor, Agent Dana Scully, one of my first crushes um, as a young man in the media. Actually, ironically for the pun, I'd go with Beverly Crusher on that, but that's fine. I like Tasha Yar better than I like Beverly Crusher. Fair enough. 
Um, but I get what you're saying. It is not fantastic the way that I did it. Um, but again, it was I, people who were investigating the mysterious in the dark and a government that didn't want the truth to get out there, that did not want them to fully expose all the secrets. Which has and always been the case. Yeah. So that really struck a chord with me. You know, honestly, I was never that into X-Files. There were just other shows at that time that I was watching when I could watch anything. And so I don't have a whole lot to follow that up with. That's perfectly fine. It was right along my brother. Fair enough. Mentioned you mentioned syndication earlier. Mm-hmm. And for me, syndicated programs are another big one because like I said, my media input was fairly controlled until I got up old enough to drive at any rate. And 70s sitcoms, early 80s sitcoms, and game shows. The the syndicated game shows, whether it was $20,000, $10,000 maybe back then, Pyramid, or... Pyramid. (laughs) (laughs) Or go all the way back to Groucho. You know, and I'd love to, because that stuff was great. But those were a huge influence on me growing up. And, you know, I don't know if part of my interest in feeling for the pulse of society through my random, well, it's not random, but anyway, my studies and and reading comes from Family Feud or not, (laughs) but it's entirely possible it steered me in that direction. And no whammies. Any thoughts? (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, well, about syndication, I I actually watched more TV shows with my family than maybe you did. I don't know. Um, I didn't. Ha- I certainly didn't have any control of it. I mean, I might have been lucky to pick like a couple of shows a week, and I was kind of, if I wasn't with my grandparents, I was left to my own devices to watch whatever afternoon or Saturday got, morning cartoon. I, I usually got PBS, and then when I got when I was younger, and then when I got home from school, I would get the afternoon cartoons: your GI Joe, your He Man, your Shira, you know that stuff. Yeah, um, but I do remember in early adolescence. I want to probably not early adolescence, but mid adolescence when I got my own TV, and we still didn't have a whole lot of shows. But when I when I had more control over what I was watching, watching a lot of syndicated shows like Nick at Night, um, and at at that era it was all those old sixty shows like The Monsters or The Addams Family or The Monkeys. Speaking of another comedy, oh, I watched pseudo variety show religiously. Yeah, um, and and really, syndication was a big deal, and a, sh- a show that we haven't mentioned that I I feel the need to. Um, is the Johnny Carson version of The Tonight Show. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, he, Johnny was amazing. To be as funny as he was and still broadly popular is very tough. And he did a fantastic job with that show. He, he actually, the thing I liked the most about Carson as a host was he was a serious interviewer. He actually did really good interviews. Now they they'd have guests on that joked around and stuff too, but you know, wasn't it wasn't the Johnny Carson Tonight Show where you had the Yuri Geller exposure by the amazing Randy? I'm pretty sure um, it was. 
I don't know. And and you know he would call people out on stuff. Uh, so it, yeah, the Tonight Show was huge. I know that Yuri Geller failed on the Tonight Show, so that probably was it. Yeah, I think uh, that's what it is. Uh, Carson brought Randy in to um, make to to prepare the tests. Gotcha. Basically, there's a actually a documentary on the amazing Randy, which is just ama- amazing. Ironically, the amazing, if, amazing. <laughs> yes, uh, I I don't know the name of it, but I highly recommend it. The thing that I really liked about Carson is, is Carson himself was pretty funny. And of course, in that position, he had all kinds of writers who were working with him. But when he found something funny and would go with it, it seemed like it was genuinely funny and he was genuinely being entertained. And one of the, the primary criticisms that I have of the current guy, um, you'll have to give me the name because I don't know it. I think it's, it's Jimmy Fallon these days. Yes, it is Jimmy Fallon is that he seems so fake to me, you know, cutesy and fake. It feels like his entire shtick is a put on. And I never felt that way with Carson. And maybe it's because I was watching him when I was like, God, he retired in the early nineties, I think. Um, so, you know, you know before I'm I was not truly sure a teenager. fake with Fallon. Cause he was the one who, and he's the one who annoyed me when I mentioned people breaking, he's the one who annoyed me most. He just genuinely would get, goofily amused on SNL and be like unable to actually deliver his stuff. He said to me, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time bagging on Jimmy Fallon, but I'm going to, (laughs) um, he, I, he is a guy that is talented in just about everything he does. He sings very well. He's fairly funny. He can dance. Um, but he's he's the, the classic jack-of-all-trades, but master of none, in my opinion. Because there's nothing that he does that I find overly entertaining, but he's decent at all of it. The stuff he did with Jimmy... Uh, no, he's Jimmy. The stuff he did with Justin Timberlake, I like quite a bit. Um, and I will say, some of the stuff he does where him and the Roots, and it's mostly because of the Roots, the roots do the like, toy instrument versions of songs. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, love I, that. that if there's one great thing I can say about him is that he has given the Roots a platform for them to get the exposure they deserve and probably the paychecks that they weren't getting despite how awesome they are as a musical act. I mean, Black Thought's one of my top three or four rappers of all time. Questlove is amazing, you know. Yeah, um, the only other thing that he did that I really, really liked is when him and Jack Black did their cover of More Than Words by Extreme and recreated the video. Shot, shot video. That was yeah. pretty good, too. Yeah. Um, uh, I, whatever. That, that's my topic, unless you have more comments. <laughs> um, I do have a couple more, because, uh, you know, uh, something that we have to throw into this. Uh, not Well, yeah, I've discovered it in syndication, so I guess I'll talk about it here. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, my God. Now, I will brag just a little bit. I probably saw that before most people because, as I've mentioned somewhere along the way, we had satellite TV back when it was, you know, a 10 or 12 or 14-foot dish that had to rotate around. But I discovered that really early. Um, and, yes, it that's huge. I'm glad you mentioned it because that was off my radar. But that one was huge. Go on, man. I'm sorry. But that... That's one of those things where you're just like, damn. 
No, and there has been countless times. That has been a, a an incredible influence. There has been countless times where me, Elle, and other of our friends have just sit around, and if the movie's bad, we just start MST3King it. And the fact that that's a verb tells you everything that you need to know. There was another show that I don't remember that did something similar, except what they would do, and I only caught it once. It was when I was living in Tennessee um, for the year in what would have been like 88 or 89 and they would take old movies and they would take out all the dialogue and they would replace all the dialogue so it wasn't exactly the same thing but it was like mad lib movies or ad lib movies or something like that i i am vaguely aware of it but well, i just possibly remember it yeah yeah there was just one scene i remember in one where it was like okay and you know this is a black and white movie and this guy and this girl are talking and, he, and he's like okay i'm going to step in here to the bathroom and and change and she's the in the movie the girl picks up a, a steak or a piece of bread or something and starts scraping the the burnt off of it she's like ooh, it's all burnt and dirty and he's like hey i told you not to look and that just killed me <laughs> at 11 or how it was, but, yes. <laughs> but just that style of comedy, and that's one thing that I'll give Fallon some credit for. So he is fairly quick-witted, um, and if you've listened thus far, you can tell that Elle and I both like really quick-witted, rapid-fire comedy. And I know that MST3K has writers, and they write the stuff before they're watching it, so it's not as rapid-fire as it perhaps seems. Even though now in riff tracks, they do do stuff live. Yeah, their timing is so impeccable it's just yeah. their timing is amazing and timing such a huge part of comedy exactly um so i just you know i can't I go watch manos the hands of fate or any of the mitchell movies uh, that the track got. of the beast is a great one there's yeah there's a ton uh, there's a couple that aren't in my opinion that good but the stuff they do during the credits is mind-blowing there's one of them I can't remember the title of, but I don't remember what the song on the end credits was. Who, but it sounded enough like it that they started chanting Tusk, like Fleetwood Mac song. <laughs> and it just it killed Ashley and me at the time. Yeah, just great stuff. Um, I guess that means it's my turn to, to go on to something else. Or maybe it's your turn, nope. I don't know. Nope, it's yours. Um... Okay, well, actually, I mean, I if think, you have something, it's yours. <laughs> well, most of the stuff that I have left on my little checklist that's sitting here in front of me is all stuff that will be rolled off into one of our focused episodes. So I guess that is it for me. Uh, briefly to run back and stuff that hit me when I was like preteen and teen. You can't do that on television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also the first time i saw alonis morissette who i'm actually desperately trying to get tickets for her show with liz fair and garbage oh, uh, dude, me too. austin so i i can probably still and i'll guarantee you i haven't listened to it since like 1998 i can probably still sing every song on jagged little pill i played that thing till my cd died <laughs> um Go ahead. Sorry. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> I do think. It's like rain. Uh, <laughs> so, briefly, let me look at my stuff. And there's one, Ben, that I'll probably do first, just because I know you weren't into it at least that early. Um, internet chat. 
back in the days of 28, 8 and 56K modems, I, black, you know, BBSs, bulletin board servers, MUDs, and then the huge one once it hit because more, so many more people had internet was ICQ. Yep. And, you know, that was something where, and my parents were kind enough, big mistake on their part, really, but they were kind enough to get me my own separate phone line so that I wouldn't get knocked offline. And that was and, of them. Yes, <laughs> it was beautiful. So, you know, I'd be up till two, three in the morning, like Maybe having so. five, six hours. Yeah. Or, you know, Yahoo chat. Dear God, Yahoo chat when it first rolled out. Um, because of the the categorized rooms and stuff. Yeah. I mean, Yahoo Chat was the Reddit in real time of its day. Man, I had and, a crazy messenger story when you get done. No, no, please, by all means. I've covered that those were a big influence on me. Rock and roll with messenger story. Um, yeah, so, I mean, messengers were, to me, I, it was more an AOL chat room kind of thing. than I did have ICQ, too. Um, but... It was when I was living with the person we mentioned in the first episode on 6th Street, which we'll um, affectionately call Jackass. And <laughs> um, we had a computer, and I started talking to... And you have to remember that this was the late 90s, so 98 or 99. Catfishing was probably a thing, but we didn't have that terminology for it. No, but I'll guarantee you half the people in those rooms were somebody else. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure that this is one, too. I just don't know it. But so I started talking to this girl from California, and she was of Sicilian descent, supposedly, and blah, blah, blah. And we made all these plans that she was going to come out to Kentucky or I was going to fly out there. And then she wanted me to, like, move in with her and all this other stuff. Um, and then one night something had happened that had like a bad day at work or something. Cause you know, like Elle said, I mean, this was a few years post high school for me, but you know, I would still spend almost all night. I'd, I'd go to work, I'd come home, eat, we might hang out and play a, a game or something to stay tuned for the gaming episode. But then I'd get on the chat room and talk all night. Um, because didn't have a whole lot of bills. My little bullshit job at the time covered my bills, so I had, we had a lot of free time. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was more interesting to talk to other people. And you could find... And this was that, Those chat rooms were one of the first times that the internet, other than the bulletin boards and stuff that I'm ta- I, I talked about, they were the first time you could really get those niche communities. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, you know... VGA Planets, a play-by-mail uh, email anyway, video game, and like Ben said, stay tuned for the gaming episode. But that that was the start of what we've got these days, for good, better or for worse. And and yeah, that was a huge one for me. Um, since we're just doing my list, basically. Well, hold on, I wasn't done I'm... with the story. Quite okay, my, oh dude, I'm sorry. No, I thought it was okay. just catfished. Well, I mean, I'm sure that's what it was, but I don't know that for sure. She could have actually been a, a girl. 
I just think she was crazy. Um, as you will see why here in a minute. So anyway, for whatever reason, I couldn't get on that line that night. And I sent her a message like, hey, I've had a bad day at work. I've got a headache. I'm not going to get on, blah, blah, blah. And so she sends me like 18 messages. It's like, oh, how could you betray me but not getting on here? My daddy's in the mob. I'm going to send somebody after you, blah, 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 blah. Keyboard so. warriors, baby. They were right. every. And at that point in time, everyone was a quote unquote hacker, despite the fact that they didn't know C, let alone C plus or HTML at the time. Nah, she never claimed all... to be a hacker, but I mean, no, I had no, told her. Everybody did, so. would say they could delete your account or they could, you know, whatever. Um, one of them I should have thrown into comedy, I guess, but it was print that I'll briefly mention is Mad Magazine and Cracked. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about them other than Spy versus Spy still rocks. I agreed. I always liked Cracked a little bit better than Mad until I got older, and then I liked Mad more than I liked Cracked. Well, and you had to you had to actually know some references to get mad as much. Um, yes. Well, I can get mad over any, but whatever. Um, and, and that's it. I was just going to throw that out there. It was one of the. It was another thing that made me aware of parody as a genre. Mm, Along, yeah. as we discussed in the radio episode, Weird Al and you know Doctor Demento. So let's see then. Um, I guess I've got a couple more, but really not many. Um, being unsupervised, <laughs> just and I, you know, my mom during the summer, she wouldn't kick me out of the house. But I'd want to go play and, you know, be back by dinner. Yeah, no, that was the same. My dad had the recall whistle. I can't do it. But he could do that thing where you put your fingers in your mouth. Mm. You can hear it from like half a mile away. Yeah, that's something I can whistle, but I could never do that. So that's the uh, that's the bring me home whistle, which, to be fair, saved my life at one point. I was oh, about really? to walk out in front of an oncoming car, and he did that. And by habit, I stopped and turned to look. <laughs> so yeah but just we formed weird groups because and i mentioned this way back that's who you had to play with and you did learn social skills and de-escalation skills and some fighting skills on occasion that that did yeah. carry over well into later life uh, there was a guy in um kindergarten that i fought every day every day we fought livingston county baby what else are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I mean, but seriously, I mean, we did. Yeah. And then like, um, I guess in first or second grade, he got held back and went away for a little while. And I mean, like not to the slam or something. I think his family moved away or whatever. Um, <laughs> he although he might have spent grade. some time in jail, too, because he did set our school gymnasium on fire from smoking a stick in the bathroom. Oh, crap. <laughs> well, again, small rural county. What are you gonna do? Um, and and here is where this this story takes a tragic turn, as they say. Um, we met again in high school. I was a junior or a senior, and he came in as a freshman. Like I said, he'd been held back a few years, and we actually became friends. We remembered each other from fighting all the time. But now we didn't have anything to fight about. We did, probably didn't have anything to fight about then, other than boredom. Um, and one day, yeah, when I was a senior. He, his, he lived with his grandparents, and his grandfather was beating his grandmother, and he stepped in between them and said, if you're going to hit her, you're going to have to go through me. And his 
granddad went and got a shotgun and shot him. Killed him. Damn. Yeah. Livingston County. Um, and some some of my best friends, obviously Ben, but a couple <laughs> other people were from Livingston County, so don't think it's that different in Paducah or whatever. Um, I, mean, I think that's something that we kind of forget is not Livingston County, although that's pretty forgotten too for good reason sometimes. <laughs> but our generation, Gen X or the Zunios or whatever, I mean, one of the earliest school shootings happened in Heath High, Heath, school. Heath sure. High school, which is not where either one of us went to high school, but it was within 30 miles. It was, you know. Oh, and we both knew people there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots of people. Still do. So. Yeah, that was um, Heath High School was, was before Columbine. Well, no, a little bit after. Um, let's see. Yeah, all right. You While look you're looking, Columbine. I'll look up Heath. Okay, okay. Um, but it was one of the first two or three that yeah, really was a big that really made it sort of an and nobody knew how to cover it. Yeah. Definitely, uh, it became a a move that was, yeah, Heath was first. I know it was, because Columbine was 99. Yeah, Heath was in 97 then. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there, well there's something that we have to talk about in our gaming thing, because there was actually a big blow-up <laughs> after this. That, I caused it, to be fair. Well, <laughs> Michael Carneal no, caused it, to be fair, but you, you caused us to get it. I caused it. <laughs> yeah. Indirectly. Yeah, we call that a tease, kids. Absolutely is. Um, so yeah, and and you know, there's been violence at schools for ages. Actually, my dad uh, lived near Clinton High School, which during the early days of of, seg- of desegregation, somebody blew up. Yeah. Um, thankfully, nobody was there at the time, but it could have been horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that was. Was that being unsupervised led to that? <laughs> well, got to, but there's actually a place that I want to go with that. Give me just a moment to find it. Um, it was a Twitter thread, and it kind of ties into that whole our conversation about Gen X and Xenial, Um and our I generation. Try to put us down. <laughs> our generation. Uh, good old. The who? Sorry, did I throw your train of thought? You did not. Good. I, I actually just thought you were going to have more, more. No, simply a song reference. Yeah. Where are you at? Well, this is taking longer to find than I thought. So, if you could fill time, that would be great. Oh, absolutely. Briefly, I'll say just, just this: that for me, I think sports were a huge, huge influence on my youth. It gave you something to do. Plus, I just frankly really enjoyed playing them. I liked watching them. I still do. It's one of the few things on television that you have no way of predicting what might happen. Um, Football, baseball. Baseball was my big one growing up. Playing it, not watching it. Um, At least till the playoffs. But... (laughs) You know, basketball at the time and football, I'm much, much more into football or soccer uh, at this point than 
any of those except maybe college and NBA hoops. But I'm super competitive by nature. (laughs) And sports was a great outlet for that. But it also taught me a lot about getting along with different people because you're all on the same team. Having some discipline. Having some control over what you were doing and the value of practice. So I was never really that into sports, and I'm not really now. Um, other the, than wrestling. Other than what? Other than wrestling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And real wrestling, not just sports entertainment wrestling. Correct. Wrestling. Um, wrestling is probably my favorite thing. But the combat sports, I like the combat sports. Sure. I like jujitsu and UFC and kickboxing, all that. And I guess that's because I didn't really play organized sports, but I fought a lot as a kid. Uh, yeah, we've gathered that. Yeah, well, I mean, and not just that one kid. Uh, I, I fought a lot, a whole lot. Um, I was a very angry and, and violent young man. Um, Something about that in the gaming episode, too, another tease. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, but, you know, the the count, if we'd had football, I probably would have been super into that because that would have been a, a place where I could have gotten my violence uh, tendencies out in a organized way. I once got a fish hook in my leg. And if you've ever gotten a fish hook in you, you know that you can't get those out. Yeah. So I, we went to the ER to have it cut out. And the ER nurse was the wife of the next county over Crittenden County's football team. And she tried to convince my parents to let me come live with them so I could play for Crittenden County because Livingston County didn't have a football team. Livingston County was a basketball school yeah and and at that time in our area at least they weren't playing seven man or eight man ball so you really didn't have any options yeah um so needless to say my parents didn't go for it um i don't know that i necessarily i I often i sometimes wonder what might have happened if they had but you know we try not to think about what might have been yep because that was then, and we've taken different roads. That was, yeah, well, and that was then. This is now. <laughs> so, uh, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. But, yeah, so, you know, uh, baseball, the, my parents signed me up for one year of baseball, and I was like, this is as boring as watching fucking paint dry. Not pitched, man. Yeah, and I was too short to, to effectively play basketball, <laughs> even though everybody in my county was kind of short, too. Uh, I could have... I mean, I enjoyed playing against my friends and stuff, but I was never going to muscle people out of the post pretty well. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> and uh, I, but I would have fouled out all the time because right. I would have bruiser um, and, and gotten into fights because I once got into a fight with a guy because he was on my team even and we were going for a rebound and he knocked the ball into my face. And so I grabbed him by the hair and started punching him. <laughs> oh, like I said, violent young man. Um, not so much anymore. <laughs> Uh, I've got two more to hit. I think we've got about 20 or so minutes before we hit the hour mark or close to. Well, I found what I wanted to read, so let me read that Please before do. we get to you. Um, so this is from Mika Kendall at Carnithia. I think I pronounced that correctly, at K-A-R-N-Y-T-H-I-A. I know Gen X is the forgotten generation, but please pick up a history book and look at what was happening to kids in the 80s and 90s. Gen X is a micro-generation made smaller by the shootings before Columbine, the car accidents that gave you seatbelt and speed laws. So many, quote, but what? But why doesn't Gen X care, end quote, responses from people who think the 80s and 90s didn't happen to anyone? That super-predator narrative? 
go back and look at who that was applied to and ask yourself what happened when your generation dies and it's jailed and no one bothers to remember. HIV, AIDS, the war on drugs, also known as the war on teens, especially of color, the wars that weren't declared but still fought. We were the canaries in the coal mine and we still fought, but hi, hello, we were the first ones saddled with major educational debt and we have boomer parents. So we're sandwich caregivers with minimal resources and repetitive trauma and we're the survivors, but beloved, we have started dying again. Cancer, heart disease, a secondhand smoke and childhood bill is coming due. We are the ones who won't get to retire and we are tired. We're frankly astonished we made it this far and we keep fighting, but no, we don't care about your feelings. We can't. We have to keep that space to bury our friends who don't make it. And if you're reading this thread and think that perfect replies and insists we do more, I am blocking the fuck out of you. Gen X is not the mule you ride into the better future kids. And I know a substantial part of the problem is the sanitized version of the 80s and 90s being presented so nostalgically by wealthy white creators. That wasn't reality. Go watch a Brat Pack movie made in the 80s, not Breakfast Club. Try St. Animal's Fire, then watch Rock. And I would parenthetically add to that something that we will also touch on in a future episode. We were the last generation of the Cold War. I mean, I remember vividly the duck and cover kids uh, drills yeah. as a kid. Yeah, we um, actually did it sort of the same as a tornado drill. Go get in, yeah. go get in the hallway. Like that was somehow going to matter. And, you know, Paducah actually, and I think I said this before, it was the site of a gaseous diffusion plant to enrich uranium. Yeah, I've always we heard, and I high, don't know. We were high up on the, well, we were high on the target list. Yeah, I always heard we were in the top 25, sometimes the top 10. I've never seen the Soviet's actual list of nuclear targets, but I can believe it. Oh, yeah, easily. Um, the last thing I think I would kind of add generationally to that is that as a, I still, Xennial sounds better to me. I'm probably saying it wrong, but I'm not going to say GIF either for those moving pictures. I think it's more fitting for you because of that digital divide that we talked about. Right. Um, But I I honestly, most of us grew up between, I mean, we had Chernobyl. Three Three Mile Island was recent enough that we were aware of it. You still had running occasionally, occasionally on TV. That was it. The day after tomorrow, I think. Um, yes. We found Doctor Strange. Love in a hard place. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Strange Love gr- was grimly dark humor, but we kind of all accepted it. It, it. And you know, if you go back and look at how many times. Do some research on it if you want to terrify yourself. How many times the U.S. and the Soviets almost launched? Able Archer 83. Yeah. I mean, is that the one where the only reason the Soviets didn't launch was that one commander decided not to? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, geez, uh, I don't think most of us expected to make it to 50. Not really. I I still don't. I got to hold out hope. You got kids. It's a different thing. I don't. So, I mean. True. True. Uh, well, I hope you're around another 30 at least. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I do. I mean. We'll see how it turns out. For but sure. I'm, a, I'm a nihilist anarchist. So, what are you going to do? I am a anarcho-pacifist. But also somewhat <laughs> of an anarcho-pacifist. <laughs> and we are creating an anarcho-syndicalist commune. Yeah. Um, to go back to Python for a second. Okay, I think uh, I've got two more, and I really think that's going to basically hit the rest of mine that we haven't dedicated larger full episodes to. Sure. 
MTV. We got it all on MTV. Actually, it's UHF, but you know. Yeah. Um, and of course, video did in fact end up killing the radio star. Uh, which first video that aired on MTV, and, for those of you that didn't have that bit of trivia in your bag. And Courtney uh, Love killed Kurt Cobain. And Allegedly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the first music. That was the. And go, oh my God, go back and look at some of the music videos from that era. Nobody knew what to do with that. Well, and the cool thing about it was, and you'll sometimes hear this refrain that music was better when ugly people were allowed to make it. They didn't have any fucking clue what they were doing, and nobody had a stylist. Nobody was really cool. They were just there with their terrible haircuts and their bad clothes. And it's not even that I'm looking back on it retroactively at like looking at an old style and saying that at the time it was like, look at these bad haircuts and these terrible clothes, but this music (laughs) is fucking awesome. Right. And you know, then, and this I think is huge. It can't be, you cannot deny the gigantic impact the real world has. I mean, the the whole current genre of reality TV, that's where it started. Yeah, I don't know if they get credit for being the first reality TV show, but I think it was. It was, a, it was easily it the first one that I paid any attention that to. that mattered yeah. to people of our age. Yeah. Sure. Well, no, and it's it definitely wasn't the first, because you had, like, um, hidden camera shows. Those start the same thing. I mean, you no, know. No, they're not. They're, they're not, that's true. They're almost sketch shows, and they're definitely, well, I, I doubt they're more heavily edited than reality television. <laughs> well, I mean, and if you think about it, those first few seasons of the real world, that was fucking living the dream. It was seven strangers picked to live together, but you were living in a place that was considered awesome by most of the country, like and New York or money. San Francisco. Yeah, you did. Until like the third or fourth season, I don't think you even had, I guess you, they technically had a job, but it's not like they were working real hard. They were yeah. doing like consultants for a music label or some bullshit you know yeah Yeah. and and then you had oh who's the infamous dude in the peanut butter peck yes then you had peck Mm. and peck started an entire separate side of reality show (laughs) well that was actually you know very interesting because what was the name of the guy that peck always clashed with Oh, dude, I don't remember. Was that season three or season four? It's I been, believe it was season three. I think it was. That's the one that I thought Puck. of first. Puck. That, see, it didn't ring. And, and I don't know. I But that those shows on MTV and then later MTV2, which, again, I got because of the satellite, in like 95, 96, whenever it launched. It might have been 97. But anyway, it was 97. But MTV2 was in the mid to late nineties, what MTV had been now Mm. that MTV had gone over to mostly not being in fact, music television. Yeah. Well, and I want to go back to the puck thing for a minute, because it was his clash with Pedro Zamora, the Cuban American uh, who I believe was also homosexual and had AIDS. And he formed a real close relationship with Judd Winnick, who went on to write a lot of really good comic books. Barry Ween. Go find Barry Ween. Um, and but Puck was just a complete and total dickhead to this guy. And honestly, I'm gonna you know, Pedro was the first representation of AIDS or an AIDS victim that made a connection. 
I mean, because we have to remember that that first aired in 94. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the late 80s, especially in a small town, rural community like what we grew up in, AIDS was still, you know, being talked about as if it was God's punishment for homosexuality. Well, well had Reagan even, well, yeah, by then, but I mean, Reagan denied its existence. Yeah. And in the part of the country we grew up in, especially if you listen to a couple of the previous episodes, you know, it's, if the Republican president said it, that, that was gold. Or didn't. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, so, and that epidemic, we weren't really aware of. I probably started becoming more aware of it in 91, 92. But think how late that is. And they were still talking about patient zero. Yeah. And, you know, who made love to the monkeys. And I, not, which lots of people with Davy Jones back in the day. But not, uh, it, it was, there was no knowledge. I mean, remember, well, I've been remember. Some of y'all probably don't. I hope we get a younger audience eventually if we don't have it already. But when Magic Johnson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was so, the first one nationally that I recall that was huge. Well, and then you know, let you had guys like Carl Malone, who yeah. when he came back, it's like, I don't want to play with him because I don't want to get any of his blood on me because there was just so little understanding. Right. right. And I guess my first con- conscience, and I think this is a post-talk mem- memory thing because this is not what it was, is how Queen and the live A performance and then Freddie Mercury dying of AIDS a few years later has been tied because live aid was actually about famine relief in Ethiopia and Africa writ large. But in my mind, it has kind of become synonymous with AIDS relief. At least, at least with the, the lack of awareness and knowledge, I would agree with you in that that was the first potential glimpse for a lot of us of a larger cause. Well, yeah, and to be, I don't think that anybody knew that he had come down with the HIV virus at the time. Well, I mean, hell, both of us were heavily into Judas Priest. When did you figure out Rob Halford was gay? I mean, pretty early, I think. Okay, well. Just because, uh, yeah, you know. The, the, if I had listened dr- clo- more closely to Turbo Lover, I probably could have figured it out. It wasn't even so much that, because I really didn't think about the lyrics, though in hindsight you're correct, but it was just the image that he portrayed. Not that that wasn't also a module image, but by the time of the late 80s going into the 90s, that was also like, if you watch the first Police Academy, when they go into the gay bar, everybody in that place is dressed like Rob Halford. Yeah, Yeah, the the leather leather daddy daddy. thing. But they were all dressed like Rob Halford, but they had the um, Freddie Mercury mustache. So the handkerchief code. If you want to, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was another relic of that time. That if you have your left ear pierced, you're gay. You know, it's just, ironically. And I'm sure that some of that stuff I did, may I have actually been true. At the time, I did have my left ear pierced. Yeah. So, um, but, I think. Know, no, go that, ahead. I'm sorry. That hillbilly phrenology that was going on, and how to deduce if somebody was deviant. <laughs> yeah I mean there's uh, even that lyric in that song Fee J uh, If you have an ear pierce some will call you gay But if they, you drive a pickup they'll say no You must be straight I mean fuck that's what it was Right right. I, you know that's 
that's another era. And that's kind of why we're doing this is we do want to go on and do podcasts and invite other hosts in to join us and, and other guests to cover a lot of topics. But we wanted you to know where we were coming from and who we were. So you can decide if you want to listen to what we have to say about these other topics before we get there. I mean, hopefully you do, uh, whether you agree with us or not. Um, I welcome all listeners. If you agree with me, that's great. If you don't agree with me, that's fine too. I don't care. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I will add that I love to argue. I hate to fight. So if you want to go watch Monty Python's argument clinic and learn that, uh, argument is not just contradiction. I, I have not been in a physical confrontation in quite some time, but I still oh, don't mind no. fighting. But you disappointed uh, me with not coming back with, yes, it is. I know. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I don't think I really had anything else. I'm double checking. I think everything else we were planning on covering. So what you're about to get for the next few episode is episodes is what resembles coherence for us. Yeah, it'll be very similar to our last episode. This will be like the probably the last scattershot episode for a while because really, since we've talked about our um, influences, there's not really a reason to have a scattershot episode anymore. Now, we might have sections where we just talk about random bullshit, and I'm sure that we will because that's just how we're wired, but there shouldn't be any topic colon random bullshit period. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, unless we just get really bored or this becomes somehow wildly popular and we're totally out of ideas. So I kind of doubt we'll ever totally be out of ideas. Yeah, me too. Um, we can always throw some BS at the wall and see what stinks. Uh, <laughs> so I guess kind of hopefully you've gotten to know us a little bit over the last four episodes, uh, this being number four. And we really hope that you will correspond with us, um, that you will hit us up on Twitter, that you will, you know, go to the Facebook page and and leave a comment that we want to hear from people. Yeah. I mean, whether it's good or it sucks and tell us why. Actually, there was a share the other day. Um, we got shared and somebody said that this is the podcast. If for you, if you are a Gen Xer and I appreciated the hell out of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That makes me really, really freaking happy. Um, that Because we are in that generation, but I think unlike a lot of the people that grew up where we did, um, we've both definitely gotten out and far into and around the wider world and stupidly educated. Ben, ben is way more overeducated. <laughs> well, I don't know. What do you... Where do you put reading like 40,000 books or so probably up against like however many freaking degrees you're up to now? I read a lot too, my brother. Oh, I know. I I, I know. Um, And, you know, random research, whatever. Yeah. I'd say that we are, I probably have a higher academic rank for all the peanut butter in the world that that is worth. Um, (laughs) But I would still say, despite the fact that I read a lot and I read 500 in July alone, that you have read more books than me. Well, majoring in literature at the graduate level and the undergraduate level will do that for you to some you extent. You also will are one of those people that even if you don't like a book, will finish it just to, to read it. And I'm not that guy. 
Uh, we bagged pretty hard, or you did, on Jimmy Fallon earlier. There is one book in my life I have started reading and stopped after about one chapter and put down and donated. And I don't remember what it was called, but it was a Robin Cook book. Not a cookbook for cooking Robin. <laughs> What's it, it was a, Robin it was a like book by story. author Robin Cook. <laughs> um, uh, I don't remember what it was. So I, that tells you something. <laughs> um, before we go any further, though, I have a question for you. Actually, I guess before we sign off. Uh, well, I, I do have one more thing to hit over like two or three minutes. Oh, cool. Well, let me ask you this question before we hit that. Before we hit it. Favorite video from the MTV era? MTV, not MTV2. Yes. Okay. And can I pick a top three? Yes. Okay. The ballerina in the claw machine version of Got My Mind Set on You. Um... Call, you can call me Al. And probably ju- hindsight how influential it was, but I'm not going to do that. I'm trying to stick to that day and time, uh, November rain. If I had done a hindsight when I would have inc- included Robert Palmer and George Michael's well, Faith 92. Okay. Um... So if you'll take a top five, there it is. <laughs> Well, Robert Palmer, you're just talking about Sledgehammer, I'm assuming. Yes, of course. The All one, right. yeah, that was just so iconic. And that's the one I would add in retrospect. I didn't get that much for it at the time. I don't remember there being a couple of different versions of I've Got My Mind Set on You. Of course, there I don't know that one, I've... There was one with stuffed animals mm-hmm. and other things in the room that opened their mouths and sang like animatronically. Yeah, that's the one I've seen. There is one with a ballerina in a claw machine. Hmm. That I highly recommend. Okay. Any thoughts? Uh, wait, you, that was your question to me, wasn't it? Uh, it was. But go ahead and give me your favorite, at least three. So, Thriller, um, Michael Jackson, of course, Punishment, Biohazard. Nice choice. Land of Confusion, Genesis. Um, From there, it gets difficult. Very difficult. All right. Well, Uh, if you want to try and throw a couple more out, but I do have one more brief topic. Yeah, go ahead. While While that part of my brain is lagging and we actually could do an entire episode on this and once we're done with the other big episodes we have planned out of this influences list we may but sci-fi fantasy literature and car and movies um and we will i'm just going to go ahead and dedicate ben to it too because i know we've got enough material so just off the top of our heads probably but sci-fi fantasy when i discovered those two genres the, any of the stuff that you can get a Nebula Award for, or, you know, what I discovered, Heinlein, or Heinlein, or Heinlein, I don't know, I've never heard it spoken. Uh, not by anybody I considered to have the authority to be correct about it. Um, but 
him, Bradbury. Oh God, Ray Bradbury. Um, Robert, I don't know how to say this either. Is it Salvatore or Salvatore? Ben, I think it's Salvatore. Yeah, I've always heard Salvatore. Yeah, the Forgotten Realms books that he did, the Elminster books. Um, I didn't know about D&D till those books. And just that side of really just letting my imagination out into the world, that that was crucial in my development. Uh, when, you know, uh, Wrinkle in Time, uh, if you want to go to that, which is, I consider both sci-fi and fantasy. So... Those books, those movies, Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, um, Tron, y- you know, oh God, what's the the one where the guy's got like 48 hours left on his timer? And Logan's Run, Rollerball, um, just those, those were mind-blowing for me. Um, yeah, uh, when I think of that genre of literature, of course, the big name, not just because we have his collection here at the library, is J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, yeah. You know, to a lesser extent, homeboy who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's Lewis. Yeah, that guy. Um, uh, even throw in, you know, Douglas Adams and Robert Asprin if you want to take a comedic vent view on. Yeah, uh, here's a, a part where you're going to get mad at me again. Uh, I'm I'm not a hitchhiker's guy to the galaxy guy. Have uh, you read any of them? I tried, got bored. Uh, uh, oh my god! Yeah, I'm disappointed. I'm not mad. I'll be parental <laughs> about it. Um, you know, people's sense of humor differs. I I love that witty wordplay British thing that that Douglas Adams has going on, and I love the parenthetical. So you know, I think it works right better in a live format than it does written for me. I will say the radio shows are better than the books. They're yeah. not, they're not as comprehensive or coherent, but <laughs> they are better right. than the books. Uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman and the Dragonlance novels. For me, those will always be the D and D novels. I mean, Ursula yeah, Kennedy. Salvatore, eh. Salvatore, Salvatore is the DM who gives plot armor to all his major characters and annoys you. True, true. However, if you like high heroic fantasy, what are the odds Conan actually makes it through any of his movies alive? You know, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 but that's it for me. And you hit on it right there. It's more that twenties and thirties pulp stuff. It's Lovecraft for all the uh, problematic things with him and Howard and Burroughs. Weird Tales so, magazine. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when we I, when we do that episode, that's that's where I'll really try because I I have a screed on Lovecraft. Oh, I'm sure you do. Um, you know, even going back further for me, H.G. Wells. Yeah. You know, twenty thousand well, leagues oh. under the sea. Yeah, yeah, less for me, honestly. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Even oh though that's God, really Sherlock Holmes. Thing. It's not yeah. either sci-fi or fantasy, but we'll hit it in books. But that sci-fi fantasy genre really meant a lot to me just in allowing me to start thinking about the future as un as being undetermined expanding my imagination and my sense of you know wonder and and inquiry and just uh yeah 
the, that's gigantic. So For me, it's also the, and that just made me think of something else that I wanted to uh, talk about here to close this out, I guess, because parents are mysterious creatures in some ways. And as a parent yourself, I'm sure you understand that. And you learn as well, a child. Parents just don't understand, man. Yeah, definitely. The girls just want to have fun. Um, but I, I had to learn to navigate my parents, and they were great parents. Um, peace be with them. But I, I had to learn what was verboten with one and not verboten with the other. So, <laughs> like, my dad, um, who eventually became a deacon at his church and everything, and actually preached some too, which I didn't know about until after mom died and I was going through their papers and found some of the sermons that he wrote and stuff. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. He absolutely detested D&D and anything to do with it. So, like, you know, it was one of those things that that is of the devil and, you know, you are allowing the devil as an influence into your life through playing them and reading them. And we will probably either cover that in gaming or that may be another episode we want to look into down the road is um, the devil. Well, not just, well, yeah, maybe, I mean, that's the devil is always with us, Ben. But Bobby Boucher. <laughs> every single one of us has the devil inside. I mean, <laughs> but I really do think we should hit on because D&D was one of them. The mass American panics of the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I absolutely think we should do one on that. Um, I think anyway, we should touch that in the Cold War because that's part of it. Okay, but yeah, wrap up what you've got, and I'll wrap mine up. I know we're probably hitting an hour or a little over about now. Um, so, but mom was cool with it. So, like, if mom caught me reading a fantasy novel, that was fine. On the flip side of it was the pornography. Like, <laughs> dad understood what it was like to be a teenage boy, having been one himself, and was cool with me having stashes of the pornography. Um <laughs> And that is actually one of the. Uh, it's going to sound weird to say so, uh, but pornography is actually one of the the most influential things in my life. Not necessarily for porn itself or the consumption of porn, but just because the first really good paying job that I got was managing an adult bookstore. I almost mentioned that earlier. I was wondering if that was what the job you were talking about when you lived on Sixth Street. Yeah, no, it was, and you know. Um, so it was that for a while no, I was listen that ever did know Paducah. It was Regina's. No, that's the strip club. That was a strip club where I was also a bouncer at one time. It was, what was the name of it? It's killing it me. It was Tammy's. Tammy's. That's store. right. That Tammy's. In a, which was one of the four adult bookstores in our tiny ass little town. I didn't even know there were, well, I knew there was one more. I don't know about the other two. And there was one on the Beltline, the Beltline Arcade. There that's was one, one out on, 8th Street, uh, whose name I don't remember. And then after Regina's 2, the other strip club closed down. One went into there. Gotcha. Um, oh, and there was, a, there was another one. There was Fantasy World. <laughs> anyway. In this nice little Bible Belt town. Yeah, totally. It's like the Victorians. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, and that was a very eye-opening experience for me in many ways. Um, and for a while, I was in a, a licensed adult entertainer. Because the town decided to get super strict on the rules and made everybody get a license. Um, <laughs> and we will not mention the name of the person nor the gender, but we did 
Well, I didn't see it till later, but Ben was there when, or was the first one of our group to spot one of the people we knew in a porn. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> um, and <laughs> it, it was quite an interesting experience. But so, sure yeah, so was. pornography was not only because I was making my living on the evening news, not quite, but peddling the pornography. But I closely consumed of it. I mean, I learned a lot about my own sexuality through that and my interest in BDSM and oh, I'm sure. and other uh, purient lifestyles. Um, um, you got any final thoughts or wrap up? <laughs> he says, I'm not trying to rush you, but you know, no, no, I, I really didn't have anything else to say okay. um, about that. But I mean, um, so yeah, this is. You know, this is not our lives, but it is a significant portion of the influences, the cross sections, the intersectionality that went into making us who we were at 25. And, you know, I don't know that we will ever come back and do like top 15 after 25 or anything like that. (laughs) Um, But that is uh, 40 by 40. (laughs) Yeah. These are the things that shaped us into the young men that we were when we even though I didn't leave the town for good until much later in life but that formed who we were yeah. at the time that adolescence was over and, and you know I, there's a, there's others we could have brought up I, I yeah, for that's... one Pop, punk, punk, and ska were huge for me, not for Ben, although he likes some of the early punk stuff. <laughs> punk was pop punk, not so much, but heavy metal. Yeah. I mean, right. Henry Rollins. Uh, You're right, from Black Flag to on into his own stuff. But, yeah. you know, our, our, I think if we've made no other point thus far, how commercial the 80s were and how uniquely homogenous in it since the 50s the common parlance of pop culture was with everyone i mean almost everybody watched cheers i i don't know many people god forbid me for make or censor me for making this joke but i don't know many people who didn't watch the cosby show unless they were passed out in the back oh man uh, I'm sorry. I can't give him credit for being funny now. You know, what are you going to, I don't know. He put something in the jello. Um, if you haven't guessed by now, I have a dark sense of humor. Uh, that Ben's a nihilist. I choose to laugh at the graveyard, but either way you want to deal with it. Um, edit that out. Ben, if you want to, it's your, podcast too no uh, I don't edit hardly any content out good so this is us and you know we are to, to close that off and to tie back to what Ben read earlier I do think we're one of the last generations that appreciates political correctness but also knows that when something's funny it's funny yeah now, I- I appreciate political correctness because I do believe that for too long we have diminished the um, those not in power people oh, of color representation women. nothing else yeah right and and both of us I think you'll find are pretty dang liberal and are 
in favor of correct terminology, what have you. Mm-hmm. But there was an openness and an honesty to the comedy of that era, like Lenny, like Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor. Yeah. That that did help people see things from the other side of the coin. Um, find the job interview sketch with Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor. Uh, if you want a milder version of what I'm talking about. Um, and, and the other thing I would say about that and George Carlin tying that in is like Ben said, comedy's job is to punch upward and and to give a voice to people who may not have one to make the observations other people aren't willing to make and sometimes that means you do push the edge sometimes that means you go over it and you because you're on the highway to the danger zone right well and you apologize you apologize and you learn and you listen afterwards and you change but if it's funny it's funny I, you know, I I could say more about it, but this will probably sum it up best. I would mostly agree with the statement that there are no funny rape jokes. However, Sarah Silverman, and I forget which special, said she was raped by a doctor, which is very bittersweet for a Jewish girl. Yeah, I don't remember what special that's from either, but I remember her. And I'm sorry, I do find that one funny. (laughs) I think that laughter is a spontaneous reaction sometimes to uncomfort. So, you know, to your point, and I and and, yes, laughter's cathartic. Yeah. Um, So I do think that I think that I mostly agree with you in that if something's funny, it's funny, but something can be funny and still be problematic. However, let me buffer that by also adding this quote from Noam Chomsky. Goebbels was in favor of free speech for views he likes, so was Stalin. If you're really in favor of free speech, then you're in favor of freedom of speech for precisely the views you despise. Otherwise, you're not in favor of free speech. And we can have the debate on whether free speech absolutism is correct especially and, with the, the rising tide of fascism and we can have and the like debate that. about culture and what is and is not appropriate as a source of humor and that's fine the point is that the comedians who are out there that aren't just doing safe comedy are the ones who get us talking ab- about these things at True. least that's the point to me. Somebody that is, also, has that is to a be... fair point. I also think, though, that if you are continually making jokes in bad faith, that it's okay to be called to the carpet for it. Oh, no, absolutely. I, in some cases, even one or two things, and I'm thinking um, specifically of, was it Dane Cook? No, it wasn't Dane Cook. Somebody of that era and ilk. Uh, J- Tosh, Daniel Tosh, the one he had. Uh, where he's actually yelling stuff about rape as the woman as she's visibly upset and leaving the auditorium. Um, that one almost makes me cry. You know, there, there are some things that immediately there should be pushback on. Hell, there should be pushback on most comedy. If no one's offended, to be honest, it's probably not really funny. I don't think it can be funny without being controversial, but I see your point. Well, but even a joke that you can make fun of the Amish and there might be somebody in the audience. Well, I mean, I mean the point being that I think you can make a joke without outside, making but... fun of everybody. 
True. And and like I said, good comedy should always punch up. Yeah. Now, to be completely honest about my own sense of humor, I do find jokes that are making fun of people to be much funnier than ones that aren't. Um, so, I mean, I'm not trying to be sitting here trying to play like, am I all comedically puritanical? Because I'm not. <laughs> I, will, I will simply say this. As someone who did a lot of theater, who's read a bunch, yes. who has... I would go with... I'm pretty sure it was Groucho Marx that said this, and I may have mentioned it already, that the funniest thing he had ever seen was the bus doors opening and someone coming out literally horizontally to the ground and falling on their face. The it, It's obviously not funny to the guy it happened to, but when it happens by surprise... Yeah. Well, isn't it Betty White who says that you can tell if you're old or not if when you fall down, if nobody laughs, everybody runs over to you, then you're old? <laughs> I don't know who said it, but that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, you know, and we do. I laugh at my kids when they, not if I think they're really hurt, but yeah. sometimes some of the stuff they do is really funny. Oh, man, I have busted now, my ass and hurt myself. Once they're and o- only once I'm sure they're okay, but... <laughs> You know, and I laugh, I think, and maybe this is what I'll say last about the difference between how you are with humor. I laugh at myself and the stuff that happens to me more than anything else in the world. I am aware that the human existence is buffoonery. (laughs) The human existence is ludicrous. Our life experience is it's either going to drive you crazy, at least my mind, the way mine works, it's either going to drive me crazy and I'll off myself or I'll laugh at it. I choose to laugh. And that's why you want to write a story arc of the Joker. Yeah, it probably is. Grim humor is still humor. Totally. That's all I got. All right. Well, we've been trying to wrap this up for like 15 minutes. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dangerously Eclectic. We're you now know done. a lot more about our... <laughs> I'm sorry, but Southern people and Midwestern people will identify with this. Nobody leaves until you spend like the five stages of getting out the door, which is a 20 to 30 minute process. That is true. Rock on. Try it again. I, I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> you have nothing to apologize for. Don't worry about it. Oh, I got lots to apologize for. I just don't know how much of it I've done tonight. <laughs> um, but yes, anyway, thank you for learning a lot more about us and hearing our influences. If you have liked what we've done with this, send us some of your influences. Again, I don't know that they will that we will necessarily interact with them on the podcast, but I know that Ellen and I would both like to see them and see places where we intersect with you or places where there's divergence. Um, you know, we've already listed our contact information earlier, so if you skip to the end of the podcast, you don't get it again. Ha ha. Um, and they're and coming to take me away, so I'm <laughs> out. Oh, Yeah, until next time, friends, stay safe, stay warm, stay dry, or at least stay wet in a good way.